right in tonight and get through the rest of the doctrine of the church. And I'll tell you, there's probably a lot more that I could go into than even these pages that you have. And we'll see tonight. Hopefully we'll get through the rest of these. A couple of announcements I want to give you coming up on Sunday morning. Sunday morning at our 8.30 and 10 o'clock service, we'll be having the Lord's Supper this week. And I'll be a part of the service. And so I hope you'll be here for part of that. Then Sunday evening will be normal. And then after church Sunday night, my family, we are going... I call it vacation, but it's not really vacation. Driving 2,000 miles in three days, and then being at a family wedding, and then driving 2,500 miles on the way back in four or five days, that's 4,500 miles in a little bit of time, but it will be a good time. Caroline's youngest sister is getting married, and so we're going to be going to a wedding, and then along the way, we're going to stop at a few places on the way. And then on the way back, for three years, Right out of Bible college, we worked at a church in Missoula, Montana. We worked there till we came down here in 2010, back and started the church here and whatever. And we have not been back to Missoula since then. And so my um, my responsibilities as an assistant pastor there, I had a couple, was to run a Christian school, which you all know how much I love working with Christian schools. I love it so much we had to have one here too. No, I really, I really school was never my thing and it never will be my thing and uh, I, a kid the other day we were talking to them do you like school no not at all I'm like welcome to the club and uh, but that's what the Lord allowed me to work with and then my favorite part of working there was I got to have a, a senior saints Sunday school class I got all the old people of the church in my class we had a great time together they were all in their 70s and I'm 22 years old and we, we, act, we had a blast together. My favorite part and what I missed the most from that church was my class and those folks in that class. And some of them, in all reality, all those that were in my class, all but five of them have passed on. And so, and the ones I was closest to, we haven't seen in 12 years. And they're getting, you know, one of them fell a few weeks ago. They're getting towards the end. And they'll, they'll tune in and watch online and here and they send me texts here and there. And so the main reason I'm going there is I want to go see them and let them meet our kids. Because when we were leaving Montana, we got pregnant with William. That's how long it's been. Well, she had William, you know, that whole thing. But anyways, so we'll be there. And then we're going to be driving home, get back on Saturday, right in time for Sunday the 14th. So it'll be a quick trip. It'll be fun. But with that being said, um, the Sunday that we're gone, August 7th, Brother Jay is going to be here all day. And Brother Jay was our assistant here and you know the devil tempted him with filthy lucre and and really set him up well to go really it's kind of south right in the bible they would always go south into egypt we'll call newport beach egypt i'll call it that that's okay and so he's been over there and he's he's such a great guy and we are so privileged and blessed to have him and his family here for the time that they were you're not going to want to miss August 7th when they're here. You're going to be blessed on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and uh, you'll enjoy that. For the two Wednesdays, we're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally would do. Um, next Wednesday night and the following Wednesday are both only online. I don't do this often, but I'm doing it this way. You are going to want to watch it online. It's going to be a help to you. Next Wednesday night... It's going to be a video I am recording from my two prayer spots here, around here. And next Wednesday night is going to be a message on 
anxiety and how to get God's help with anxiety. And I'm going to take you to one of my spots that I go. And then the following Wednesday night, I'm taking you to my other spot. I'm not giving you directions on how to get to my spots because I don't want you in my spots. And I don't think the second one, half of you are going to try climbing the 1,500 feet of elevation to get there. So I think it is safe. But um, so next Wednesday night on anxiety. And then the following Wednesday night, it's going to be about prayer. I'm going to take you to my spot up in the mountains. And it will be a help and an encouragement to you. And so I hope that you'll tune into those. And so that will be a good thing the next two Wednesdays. Take our Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And we're continuing on tonight about the church. As we talk about the church, we're actually going to take a little bit of time. We're going to talk about the pastor a little bit tonight and some of the qualifications and some of the jobs that a pastor does in a church. And, uh, and then we'll see how far we get with everything else tonight. But if we, if we really look at it and we study the scripture, we have a lot of churches that are very backwards when it comes to some of this stuff. We have a lot of churches that are denominationally ran and deacon ran, but not pastor led. And we're going to look at what the Bible says. Now, we need to understand a few things tonight. The pastor, by far, is not the end all of anything. He's a human being like everyone else in the room. But I do believe that the pastor is a God-called position. And I believe that deacons are as well. And we're going to talk about deacons tonight as well in just a little bit of time. And, uh, when it com- and as we look at this tonight, I don't want to anybody mad or upset with things, but we're just going to look and see what the Bible has to say and go from there. We read these verses last week. Ephesians chapter number 4. Look with me at verse number 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sliding of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceit, but speak the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's going to come a day where we don't need pastors anymore, where we don't need evangelists. We're not. You know when that day is? When we're with the Lord. And until that day, God has given to, to us pastors and teachers to help us do the work that God has called us to do. This passage makes it very clear as we look here, and you study it very clear what a pastor's job is. What did God give a church a pastor for today? We don't have apostles, we've seen that, and so and prophets, but as we look at we look at a pastor, an evangelist, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, you could turn on your television some and look at different preachers from preachers of LA and those different groups. When a pastor's in it for himself and what he can get out of it, there's something wrong. 
we see what a pastor's job is right here. And we'll talk more about some qualifications in a few minutes. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive into our notes tonight. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. Thank you for being our God, and thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray that you'd help us tonight as we study this out, as we continue over look at looking at the doctrine of the church, and as we look at the offices tonight, and as we look on some things. Help us tonight. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we tonight are under, under Roman numeral 2, under B, down at number 2. Offices, the office of elder slash overseer is where we are. You find that back there, Joe? You weren't here last Wednesday night, so he's been missing a lot of church lately. We need to pray for our sound man. He's been missing a lot of church lately, and so we need to pray for him. And so You gave him a visitor's card? Good. Because I give Mona one, too, after she's missed several weeks, too. So when you got ushers that miss a lot and then soundmen that miss a lot, it's what do you do. And so and then you got a pastor missing next week, too. But anyways, the off, and the Sunday I'm gone, I'm going to be preaching at a church that Sunday. And so anyways, that's how it goes. Office of elder slash overseer. As we look and we talk about this tonight, letter A, we see the elders were appointed in every church. When we talk about an elder here, it's another word for a pastor. We look at Acts 14, verse 23, it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And so we see that elders were appointed in every church, letter B, elders are to rule. That's what they're supposed to do. Some people don't like that, but let's just see what the Bible has to say. 1 Timothy 5, verse number 17. The Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So do you see that an elder's job is to rule? And when they rule well, they should be counted worthy of double honor especially when they labor in God's word and in the doctrine. And that's why it's so important that a pastor teaches and preaches the word of God and gives sound doctrine. And that's why, as you listen to the word of God being preached in your church, you need to make sure that you are studying the scriptures and making sure that what is being said lines up with what the Bible says. Don't just, let's make sure you understand something, don't just take the pastor's word for it. If you just take the pastor's word for it, don't do that. That's not the way. You need to search the scriptures, know the scriptures, and know what it says. But we see that elders, they were appointed in every church, and elders are to rule. And then we see that elders are to oversee and to shepherd the flock. That's what the Bible tells us. And so as we think about that, elders, pastors are to oversee and to shepherd the flock. 1 Peter chapter number 5, and we started studying 1 Peter on Sunday mornings, and so... We're going to get pretty far in this later on, but 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed, look at verse number 2 there, feed the flock of God which is among you. What is a over, what's an elder supposed to do? Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, 
not by constraints, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Verse number 3 tells us, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Now, as we think on that one there, and you look at that there, do you see a pastor's not supposed to lord over the flock? Do you see that? And uh, I'll give everyone a second. Looks like everybody's looking every which way. And uh, looks like we're losing a little bit of focus here. It's okay. Don't worry about it, buddy. I'll take care of that later on. No problem. And so that's, that's what the carpet's for, right? It's all good. So look at those verses again. Read the screen with me there. The elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. A, an elder's job is to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Verse number 3 says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. And as a pastor, it's my job to feed the flock and to take the oversight. It is not my job to lord over you. It's my job to be an example of what should be done. And in a lot of churches, you don't have the pastor being a very good example of those things. And that's one of the jobs. I need to be an example of what the Bible says we should be doing. And that's one of the areas I had someone a while back say, Pastor, it seems like you just do a lot in the church. Well, I'm not going to ask anybody to do what I wouldn't be willing to do. It shouldn't be that way. If the toilet needs clean and no one else is here, I'll clean the toilet. Doesn't matter to me. The toilet needs plunged. Where are you at, Bridget? The other day, she hands me the plunger, and she's like holding the torch there, you know, the Olympic torch. She's like, help me out, please. And somebody plugged that toilet pretty good. It took me a while to do it, but it got out, praise the Lord. But as we look at these things and we try these together, the pastor, they were appointed in every church. They're to rule. They're to have the oversight and the shepherd. And then we also see that members and those, I'm going to give you the verse there in a second, the members are to obey and to submit to, the lead, to their leaders. That's biblical. When it comes to what the word of God says and to the truths of God's word, now you've got to make sure you understand something. There are many pastors, and I've got to put an asterisk there with this. There are many pastors that want people to obey and to submit to things that you don't need to obey and submit to a pastor. Man, I've heard of pastors, just I'm going to give you a few examples. One pastor, he would pull people into his office and be like, I believe it's God's will you go buy a house. And I've got a real estate person for you to talk to. And he was making money behind the scenes off the whole thing. Filthy lucre. Yeah, exactly. But you got to listen to something. It is not my job to rule your stuff in your life. If the word of God is being preached to you and the Bible is laid out to you, you need to obey what is said. But you have a mind for a lot of things, too. Don't blindly ever follow a pastor, okay? Make sure you understand that. Because some people will blindly, whatever they say, if they want you to drink Kool-Aid, you'll drink the Kool-Aid. Don't do that. And I won't go any further and deeper on that thought right there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it there. We also see next... Um, we see, do we have a letter D there? Letter D, we, oh, we got that there. Letter E, we see the qualifications 
of the elders are found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 6 through 9. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. I believe it's very important. There's going to come a day. Someday, there's going to need to be another pastor at Victory Baptist Church. Now, just so you know, if anything ever happens to me fairly soon, and it, who knows, it could at the end of the day. In my desk, I've got some notes left to help the church figure out going forward. They are in my office, in my desk. And I only put them in a certain spot when I'm gone, just in case. Just They're not there all the time. You can't go find them there all the time. They're there every once in a while. But they're there not to tell you who to put in as pastor or anything like that, but to help you with what qualifies a pastor to pastor. And so we look at 1 Timothy chapter number 3. I want you to see what the Bible says here. 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 1. Scripture says, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now before we go deeper into that, it says man. Do you see that there? It does say man. A pastor should be a man. And that's Bible. There's a reason you can read the end of 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And I'm not, and this is the thing, there are a lot of women that could preach way better than I ever could, but this is what God's word says, and we go with what it says. So, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then some people will say, well, in the Bible, man and men could mean men or women. Okay, so you say that, look at verse number two. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife. And you argue, well, I know in our world today, there are women that are husbands of one wife, but that's not what the Bible's talking about there. So a pastor should be a man. That's what the Bible says. And you need to make sure, and that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. There are many denominations and a lot of churches that in the day would follow what the Word of God said with this, but today they totally back down from it. And I know our world has evolved, and in some of it, it's very good. The fact that for a long time women couldn't vote and the different, there's, I get all that. But there's also things that the Bible lays out and God has a reason why he does what he does. And there's more I could say on that, but that's all I'll say. So the, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, people will take that thought there, the husband of one wife, and they'll say, well, that means he needs to be the husband of one wife at a time. Then there are those who say, that he can't be divorced, and where all of that stands in that background. And at the end of the day, I take the Bible literally for what it says. And I believe, and you might differ than me, but I believe that a pastor should not be divorced. That's what I believe according to the scripture. That's what we see. And you say, well, you're just taking a hard stand. If the Bible says it the way it does, I'd rather stand far to the right than stretch it. And that's where I stand on it. And if you don't like that, and, and you've got to understand, there's, divorce is not the end all that ends your life and what you can do for the Lord. There is so much you can do. But when we look at this, I do believe that it disqualifies for the office of pastor, bishop, elder. He needs to be vigilant. He needs to be sober. A pastor should be of good behavior. A, ha a pastor should be hospitable. Should be able to teach the word of God. He shouldn't be given to wine. Do you see that right there? You see that right there? He shouldn't be given to wine. He shouldn't be a striker. He shouldn't be going around fighting with people. He shouldn't be in it for greedy 
or be greedy of filthy lucre. A pastor needs to be patient, not a brawler, not covetous. He needs to rule his own house well. He needs to take you've got to see how can you take care of God's house if you can't take care of your own house. That's what the Bible says there. It's important. And that's why, you know, at the end of the day, my first ministry is my family. If my family, if I'm not being the husband and the dad that I should be, I cannot be the pastor that I should be. That all goes hand in hand together. And so as we look at that, we see that he needs to rule his own house while having his kids in subjection with all gravity. We're working on that one. Those kids are a work in progress right there. And uh, we look at the next thing. It says, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, now shall I take care of the church of God. Verse 6, not a novice. A pastor shouldn't be a new Christian. He should be well-grounded in the word of God and in the truth. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. When you get a pastor, you need to make sure that those that know them in their past, you should call and get references. I've heard so many churches where, oh, this guy came in, he can he was a good speaker, and we liked him, so we brought him in as our pastor. And they didn't check anything. And someone can put on a good show. You do not know for sure how they are. And even if you do all, even if you dot all your I's and cross all your T's, you still aren't going to know everything. You got to be careful with these things. In a few minutes, we're going to look at the office of a deacon here, and we'll just leave our Bibles open here so we can look at that. So we see some thoughts tonight about the office of the elder slash pastor bishop in that area. Next point, we see number three, we see the office of deacon. There are only two offices mentioned in the church, the office of pastor and the office of deacon. Now, I want to make sure you understand something, too, because a few years ago, we put trustees in place. To be a corporation in the state of California, you have to have trustees. So even if it's not a biblical term, a trustee, for the state of California, we have trustees. Does that make sense? Some churches might have deacons be the trustees, but we could talk more about that at another time. Now, we look at our church. We look at the office of deacon. Deacon is an important office. I believe it is a God-called office as well. We see in the scripture that there are many qualifications in the area of being a deacon. And uh, in the past, we've had deacons. And I felt like for a while it was more of a name thing than a job getting done, which we'll talk about. And I'm going to give you a little insight here. Coming up this fall in September, if there are any men that feel led of the Lord to be interested in being a deacon, we're going to have some classes on it. And we're going to lay out, this is what the Bible says the job is. These are the qualifications of a deacon and how those things work. If you have interest in that or want to talk to me about that, we can do that later. When we look at it, we see letter A, that the office and the qualifications of a deacon are found in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 through 13. And so we're going to read those verses right now. I want you to see them before our eyes. So we saw, are there qualifications for a pastor? Yes. The Bible lays them out. Are there qualifications for a deacon? Yes, there are. So let's look at this now. Now, let me, and some people, some people will say that the first deaconess was Phoebe in Romans chapter number 16. 
Because that word servant, the word deacon means servant. And that's what Phoebe was. She was a servant. I also believe that when it comes to a deacon, let's, let's use pastor for, as an example. My wife is not the pastor of the church. She is the pastor's wife. But we are a team. I cannot pastor alone. She helps me do what God's called me to do. We are a team in it. And I might be the one that preaches them, but we, we work together. And we minister together. Just the way it would be for a deacon and a deacon. You say, well, should a deacon only be a man as well? You look and see what the Bible says here. Romans 8, 3, I mean, 1 Timothy 3, verse number 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. Now, isn't that interesting? It says, no wine for the pastor, but not given to much. And uh, I think that's just the way they worded it there. Deacons should stay away from it as well. Not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. It should not just be the average Joe gets put in as a deacon. They need to be proved. Why? Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Look at the next verse. Even so must their wives. So we see that it's a wife thing here too. A deacon should be a man. But a deacon and his wife are a team. They serve together. And it's interesting to me, it doesn't give qualifications for the pastor's wife, but it does give qualifications for the deacon's wife. And look what it says there. It says, so if some of you are interested in being a deacon, your wife has to be in on it too. That's part of it. It's a team effort. And so if someone's saying you're thinking, I, I might be interested in learning more about this and maybe it's something the Lord want me to do, you need to make sure you and your wife are in on it together and then we'll go from there because that's part of it. It's not just a one-man show. It's a team effort. But it says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanders. Well, why not slanders? Because as a deacon and you deal with some of the things that happen in people's lives, you, don't want, you cannot be there talking about people. In all reality tonight, let's just use this as an example, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but a lot of you in this room, I know a whole lot about you. A whole lot about you. Things that you would never want me to, behind the pulpit, say about you. And I'm not going to. But you cannot just let somebody just have that information that's going to blurt it all over the church. There are things that happen in business and things that take place where you've got to be very careful about what you say and how you say it. That's why, and I'll just give this example, and I think it's okay here, and I'm just using it as an example. Sometimes in ladies' prayer, things could go a little deep. When they do in Mona's ladies' prayer, you do not need to talk about that outside of there. It stays with you. And in all reality, I don't even love some of how deep some of it gets because I don't know that everybody will keep, because you don't want to prejudge someone else. Because this is the thing, there are two sides to every story. Did you know that? There are two sides, did you know that? And the side you hear is always going to be biased towards that side. And we don't mean to, but it's just what we do. We want ourselves to look good. And it might be most of the truth, but it shouldn't be that we, and that's where you got to be careful too. You can't just have someone know facts of things, and they look at one party and then get so 
You have to be able to be balanced and love both sides. It's, it's a tough balance. And I've gotten, I've gotten many people mad at me. They still post things on Facebook every once in a while. That I got, cho- I got chosen, my spouse got chosen over me by the pastor. Say this every time when a divorce happens. I never choose sides. I'm for both of you. And I'm sorry for both of you. And I'm here for both of you. I do not pick sides. If there is sin involved on one side, I will call that out. And that does change things. There's a lot to it. But when it comes to these things, we got to be very careful. That's why as a deacon, there's going to be things that you're going to hear be involved in that you got to make sure your lips are sealed. Because you don't want to hurt people. Our goal is to help edify the body of Christ, not tear it down. And that's where this stuff's important. And so we see, must be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. And I believe the same thing could be said right here about the husband of one wife. I believe not divorced. And people have asked, there's so many things that people ask. You need to pray to God, and the church has to decide on certain things. Like people have asked me, well, what if I was divorced before I ever got saved? To me, I'm saying me. I'm not saying I'm the end-all, know-all things. You're a new creature when you get saved. I believe it's different. I believe that could be handled either way. I'm not, but that's not my job to decide. I'm just saying I do believe that there are things like that that happen. And then they get saved and they know the Lord and they regret those things, but they've moved forward for God. I believe before you get saved, it's a little different because before you're saved, you don't know what's right really in God's eyes. Just a thought there on that. And don't, don't get too deep into all those things. But we see the office and the qualifications. Let me give you this as well. We see letter B that in Acts 6, 2 through 4, it gives us an example of the men selected to serve. It's a calling. I believe it's a calling. The office of a deacon is a calling just like the office of a, of a pastor. And there are differences between the two. And I believe it's needed in churches to have both. We look at Acts 6, verse number 2. It says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it Is not right we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I want you to see another big area for the pastor. The pastor needs to be in prayer and in the word of God. That's a very big part of a pastor's ministry. It needs to be. Because he can't feed you. Well, we'll put it this way. There are many that try to feed their flock without spending much time in God's word and in prayer. But it's sure a lot better when you spend time in prayer and you spend time in the word. And so, but a deacon, the word deacon literally means a servant. And nowhere in the Bible do we see where deacons run churches. That is not found in the Bible. It is not found. They come along and they help and aid. And there's an important role when it comes to this. And so in the church, there are two offices, the office of pastor and the office of deacons. Those are the two that are found. And we see what the Bible says about the qualifications for both. Next point, number four. Let's keep on moving. 
we see then there are the members of the body. The members of the body. We live in a day and age where, and this is, this is an interesting one too. We live in a day and age where people don't care much about church membership. It used to be a big deal. And nowadays, church membership is not a big deal to a lot of people. And what I see the scriptural pattern in scripture, we see in Acts chapter number 2, and they that gladly received his word were baptized and added unto them. They were a part of a body, a local body. I do believe in church membership. I believe that it's important. Now, you might say, I don't. That's where we have individual soul liberty. I believe in that as well. And you be fully persuaded in your mind, and I'll be fully persuaded in mine. But to teach a Sunday school class, to be a deacon, to, do, to vote on church matters, you need to be a member of the church. And that's important. You say, well, why does it matter if I'm a member to vote on those things? So anybody could walk in the door at any given moment and vote on any of the business that's handled in the church. That's not how it works. And you might say, well, I, I give my money here and all these different things. I know there are some people that aren't members that give way more than people who are members. But that's not, I can't, I'm not going to figure that out or mess with it. A member, you have a voting spot in the church. That's the way it is set up. And if anyone ever has questions about church membership, you can see me and we could talk about those things. But church membership, I believe, is an important thing. And uh, we, it's kind of a commitment to the church that you're in. We make commitments all the time in lots of areas of life. I know people don't like to be as committed with things today. And I know a lot of churches nowadays don't have those things. But I believe, I believe they're important. And I believe God puts members in the body that he sees fit to serve in the local body. And I believe those things are important. And there's a lot more that I could say, but I'm not going to say it tonight. And we're going to move on. And so we've seen so far... We've seen if we go back quite a ways, I'm just going to review the main points. i got to go back in my notes because i got to remember what I said. We looked at the church, the universal church, the body of all believers, referred to as the body of Christ, which will assemble someday. We looked at the local church and how it operates is what we're looking at. We've looked at the pastors and the elders. We've looked at the office of deacon. We looked at the members of the body. When we also talk about church, the next thing I want you to see, number three tonight, Roman numeral number three, is fellowship and the importance of fellowship within the body. It's an important thing that we be a part of and do. And so we look at fellowship tonight, and we're just going to talk a few minutes about this and dive into it. But true fellowship only can happen on the common grounds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what unites us. And at the end of the day, and I, I used to have a hard time, I'm just going to be straight up with you here tonight. I used to have a hard time. I, um, I'm a Baptist, and I'm still a Baptist, and I'm thankful for my Baptist forefathers, and I'm a Baptist. Some people could care less about them. Some people, it matters to them. I believe what they have suffered, what we talk about going back to Baptists being killed for standing for baptism correctly, and there's lots of things you could say. I am thankful for all of that. I also see a lot of flaws in Baptist churches, but you got to understand something. There are flaws in every group, okay? And I, I'm not going to sit down and pinpoint what the flaws are in Calvary chapels or in the Nazarene church or in the Methodist church because I'm not a part of those churches. 
I don't see it firsthand what their issues are. I am a Baptist. I see firsthand a lot of our issues. And one of the areas that we, we, we have a very hard time with the secondary separation thing. And hopefully not in our church, but a lot of churches I've grown up in and been a part of growing up, unless you were just like me, we could not fellowship. If you didn't dress the way I dress, we can't fellowship. If your church doesn't sing the same songs we sing, we can't fellowship. If your pastor doesn't wear a tie in every service, we can't fellowship. That's literally, it's an issue in Baptist churches. And so I don't know if some Baptists just think at the end of the day, if you're an independent fundamental Baptist and you do all these things, you have your hair part just right, carry your King James Bible in this hand, have your suit on every single service. And you know, one the, I'll tell you, I used to be dogmatic on all of those things. And I'll, I'll be honest, I still, deep down inside of me, I still have a lot of those roots there. Like in all honesty, I am the most comfortable preaching behind the pulpit in a suit with a tie on. I am. Say, why don't you wear it on a Wednesday night? Because it's not the end all of anything. And it's not to be made a God in our lives like some have made it. Some people have asked me in the past, Pastor, where did your pulpit go? I love my pulpit. I had that made for me. My, it's still in the other room. I still give it a hug every once in a while. But I purposely had that pulpit made after a pastor that I loved. It was more of a man worship thing in my life than anything else. And I finally put it away. Because it's not about all those things. There are many people that used to be my friends and very close to me that because we sing a newer song in our church, they have nothing to do with me anymore. I would never be welcome to preach in their church or anything. Like, and you say, is that? It's true. But that's the thing. They can do as God leads them to do. And I don't have a problem. I love them still, and I'm grateful for their influence and impact in my life. That has nothing to do or bears anything on me today. But you got to understand something. My fellowship with fellow believers is not based on you doing everything that I want you to do. Our fellowship is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do have to be careful about some doctrine issues, and there's things you got to be very careful about, but our fellowship needs to be bound in the word of God, not in our preferences. And there's a big difference between those two. And I'm still working those out in my own life, so I can't fault anybody who still holds strong to a lot of those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, you got to understand, if you are fully persuaded and God has led you to be what you need to be, you be what God calls you to be. But when God called me to pastor Victory Baptist Church, I had a mindset and idea of what I was going to be. And it was not really what God wanted for Brian. It's what Brian was just following everyone else. And the one day that God convicted me, you're preaching my book. Are you preaching what it says? Or are you preaching what you've heard your whole life? Preaching what I've heard. Then you better change. That's why I've changed. I'm trying to please God, not anybody else. And I'm still a work in progress. I am. I got a long ways to go. 
When I first started pastoring, I thought I had it all figured out. We're 12 years in, and do you know what I realized today? I don't have nothing figured out now. And how bad was it 12 years ago? I can't even imagine going back there. It was pretty bad. But when we talk about fellowship within the church, I want to give you a few. You've got to understand, we share a common purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God and to build up his church. That's what we're here for. When we talk on these things, the first thing we see, letter A, and we're doing pretty good on time. We're going to get through this. Letter A, we see unity within the church. Unity is so important in God's house. Now, you got to understand, when you have a lot of people with a lot of different opinions, a lot of different ideas, we're going to be all over the place on everything. And I know there's been times like that. Like you look and you say, there are some people who liked the walls when they were brown in here. There are some people who liked them gray. We could even go back before that. There are some that really liked them when they were the light blue and would be fine with them being light blue still. There were some that liked light blue carpet better than they liked this gray carpet. I get that. We all have different tastes and likes. We're not going to all be unified 100% with all of those things. But we mentioned before our mission of our church to exalt the Savior. It's on the wall. Edify the saints. Evangelize the sinner. We must be unified and of the same mind and one accord to the mission of the church. It's very important when we look at that and we think about that unity within the church. We see, number one, that there should be no divisions. We should be of the same mind when it comes to these things. It's important. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.10, the church in Corinth, they were carnal. They were having a lot of issues going on. And it says there in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And you think about the church, you look, you want to you wanna go somewhere and see chaos and see division? Go to Congress. But most churches are no different than Congress. This shall all men know that you're my disciples if you argue and have division with everybody. That's what should be different about a church. We can all have different backgrounds, have different thoughts, have different preferences. But when we come together, we have a goal in mind that we're going to exalt Jesus Christ, that we're going to build up each other, and we're going to reach the lost with the gospel. That's what this world needs to see in churches today. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And how important it is, no divisions be of the same mind. Letter or Number two, we see promote unity with humility and gentleness. That's what we need today. Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, you think about it, the only reasons we have schisms and divisions in church is because of pride. Pride is the biggest problem in the world that we have today. Without pride, there is no contention. You will not fight with anybody or have a division if pride's not involved. That's why the Bible says here, with all lowliness and meekness, power under control, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see those verses there? And how important that is, promoting unity with humility and with gentleness. We need those things. We continue on here and we see letter B. We see that we should have no true fellowship with unbelievers. Now you say, what are you talking about when you say that? You've got to understand, we work in this world, we live in this world, we interact with this world. And that's how we're going to reach the lost. That's part of it. 
We, can't, we have to be, live in this world. We don't go out in the middle of the desert somewhere, build a fence and live within that fence and, build, and, you know, and have our own gardens and everything and keep to ourselves. That, it's not going to work that way. Although it might be nice sometimes, right? But as we think on this, we've got to be very careful. The Bible is clear on these things. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he with an infidel? These matter. That's where young people look at pastor for a minute. I've preached this for 12 years. And it still hasn't sunk into people's heads. Do not date people that are not Christians if you're a Christian. I should hear a few amens from parents on that one. Don't date people that are not Christians. Say, well, I shouldn't marry them. That's true. But if you date them, and then your heart's given to them, you will marry them. So if you just don't date them, you don't got to worry about it. Because it does not work. And you say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them to Jesus. Or they're going to pull you from Jesus. That's how it works. Oh, but he's so cute. We'll see how cute it is when you have a child. And when they want that child to have nothing to do with God, and you want that child to go to church, we'll see how cute he is then. Oh, but she's the most beautiful woman in the entire world. And let me, yeah, I'm going to go here. Be careful. A Christian and a Catholic shouldn't date. I'm, I'm sorry. First communion, there's a difference. There is. And you're going to have your child pulled every which way. Be careful in these areas. That's why you've got to be very careful. And I know there are some people that go so far with this. They have unsafe family. They won't ever spend time with their unsafe spend time. Family is a good thing to be around. Love them. Show them the love of Christ. Show them what they need from the Lord. And maybe your good influence could be good on them. I'm not telling you to spend every day with them. But I am telling you, we live in this world. We're around people. We've got to be very careful. And young people, be careful who you give your heart away to. Because when you give the heart away, it's hard to get it back. That's why you just avoid that altogether. Don't be unequally yoked together. That's what the Bible says. And now some of you are saying, well, pastor, that doesn't help me now. You are where you are today. God knows that. And you move forward for God right where you are. And I could give you, I could give you another passage. If you go, if you're to look in the book of Nehemiah, we're just about done here tonight. But in the book of Nehemiah, after Nehemiah has really helped God's people get back into things, and they're really going... They started marrying the daughters of people they weren't supposed to. And then what they did is they went and divorced them and put them away. And then Nehemiah was mad at them because they put them away. Just do your best where you're at. If you didn't know these things, move forward where you're at. But teach it to your children so they know. know Some people say, well, pastor, how am I supposed to teach my children something that I didn't follow? Teach them so they don't make the mistakes you did. I, how many of you, I don't want my children to make some of the dumb mistakes I made in my life. I don't. So I tell them, hey, your dad did really bad in this area. I've told them that in some things. I was very bad with this. You don't need to do that. Do it differently than how I did it. Because I don't want them to make those mistakes. 
There are things in my life and sins that I have that I don't want passed down to my children. I want them to see dad's made some mistakes. Dad is not perfect, and you can do better than he did. And that's okay. As we look at that, let her see. Let's continue on so we can get these last few notes here. Um, let her see. Ministering to others within the body is all under fellowship. And we did, I think it was, was it last year or two years ago, our whole theme was the one another's of the Bible. And there's a lot given. We're supposed to love one another, give honor to one another. We're supposed to admonish one another, comfort one another, encourage and build up one another, and so much more that I could say. And then, as we get ready to close tonight, we get to number four, Roman, Roman, Roman numeral number four, we see our worship, the worship in the church. When we talk about worship, letter A, worship belongs to God alone. Worship belongs to God alone. In the local church, worship belongs to God alone. I've had people at time time, hey, pastor, I don't like that song we sang last week in church. I didn't know I was worshiping you. If I'm worshiping you, I'll let you pick all the songs. Because, yeah, right? I'm not worshiping you. Worship belongs to God alone. And I don't know if you've noticed, our music has changed in the years, but all of it is directed to God. That's what it is. We still sing a lot of hymns on Sunday nights. We're going, and this last week, a couple of those hymns, I don't know if I've ever sung before. They were pretty, they were pretty rough through there, but they're good. There's new songs that's pretty rough the first few times we sing them, but they're good. But worship belongs to God alone. We're, we don't come to this church to worship the pastor. You know, let me give you a little thought. The Sunday the pastor's gone, you don't come to church to please me. You come to church for the Lord. So remember that that Sunday when I'm gone. And also know that now, since we have the ring cameras everywhere, I loved it the Wednesdays I've been gone this summer. I just go on the ring camera, and I can see all the cars in the parking lot. I know who's here and who's not. I love that. And so I know, and I see it. I should put a couple of them in here so I can see you real up and close and personal. But no, I literally, it was a few Wednesdays ago when we were gone, right at 6 o'clock, well, 6.30 is when the starts. At 6.25, I turned on the camera and looked and looked around. And then I knew there are a few of you that like to come in about 6.35, 6.40. So I looked one more time, and you came in at that time too. Good job. But worship belongs to God alone. Those that sing in church, it's not about you and how you sing. It's about worshiping God with your voice and what you do. You play the piano, whatever you do, the case may be, is about bringing worship to God. He is worthy of worship, and he alone deserves the worship. There's some notes there about our God is a jealous God, and he's not willing to share his worship with any other, and he shouldn't have to because he, does, he deserves all of it. And then God is worthy to receive worship because he's the creator of all things. When we talk about that, Last thing I want you to see, is this the last one? Oh, there might be one last thing after this, but letter B, we talk about true worship. True worship. Worship is not, and when we talk about worship, you got a couple points listed there. Don't just worship with your lips. God wants worship from the heart. You can fake a pastor out, you can fake other church members out, you cannot fake God out. Don't just worship with your lips. God wants worship from the heart. And then God also wants worship in truth. The Bible tells us that. 
Um, the, they, the worship, God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Hey, worship him with your heart, worship him in truth, and then worship God with your life. Whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. I love that verse there. If we're having a church meal, whatever I do, I'm going to eat for God's glory. Just, if I'm going to drink a Dr. Pepper, I'm going to do it for God's glory, all right? If I'm going to eat an In-N-Out burger, I'm going to do it for God's glory. It says eating. It's mentioned right there. And then we see number five, Roman numeral five, and lastly tonight, the ordinances of the church. They are not sacraments. Sacraments are necessary. An ordinance is something that the Lord has given to us. And when we talk about ordinances in the church, I literally could take a whole night, and I might do this on the Lord's Supper. And I probably, in all reality, I really think that the, um, so in three Wednesday nights, when we're back to our normal Wednesday nights, I'm going to talk on that night's going to be on the Lord's Supper, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Because there's a lot of people that misconstrue the Lord's Supper, and there's lots of ideas about it, and the Bible tells us so. As we, I'm just going to give you these last two points, and then we will talk about the Lord's Supper next time we are on doctrine. We see letter A, we see baptism. Baptism, 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 an ordinance of the church. When someone is scripturally saved, scriptural salvation is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a turning from what you believed and turning to Christ. Not turning from your sin, turning from what you believed and turning to Jesus Christ. After salvation, a person should be scripturally baptized. And we, we could look all around. We could look at a lot of different things. A couple thoughts on baptism. Not one time in the Bible do you see someone being sprinkled. That is not found in the Bible. I believe there are a lot of well-meaning people behind the idea of infant sprinkling and things, but it has nothing to do with Bible. The example we look at of baptism, we can look at Jesus to begin with. Remember when he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended and the Father spoke. He came up. It's an immersion, under and up. You wonder why our Baptist forefathers, a lot of them died? It was because of baptism. Baptist first name they were given were Anabaptists, rebaptizers. People couldn't figure that one out. And it's because you get baptized after salvation. Now you look and you say, well, if I don't get baptized after salvation, am I going to go to hell? No, 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 no. That's not a terrible attitude to have. I think that's a terrible attitude to have. If you're a saved child of God and you see the scriptural pattern a certain way, I would do it the scripture way. You might say, well, I just don't see it. You're not going to go to hell because of it. But I do believe, let me just help you here real quick. The Christian life is full of growth, right? And the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And I believe that I, many people have come to me, Pastor, I have not grown in the Lord in a long time. The first question I ask them is, what is the last thing God told you you needed to do that you didn't do? Because why is he going to help you grow and move forward if you aren't listening to what he already told you to do? And I believe one of the first things for a new Christian is they need to get baptized and follow the Lord to continue their growth. And so just some thoughts there. Then letter B. Letter B, we see communion, the Lord's Supper. And we will go into greater detail about that. But at the end of the day, in case you aren't here in a couple weeks, what it comes down to is the Lord's Supper is a picture. This do in remembrance of me. 
It is not something that mystically becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ as you take it. It's a picture. It's to remind us. It's a memorial to remind us of what Jesus Christ, what his body went through, and the blood that was shed for us, and we do it till the Lord comes. It's not meant to be a buffet or a big meal. It's supposed to be a time where the church comes together, and we together we go and we remember the Lord in these things, and we examine our own hearts, and we so eat as the Lord works in our lives. And we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Father.